This is the Mahabharata Podcast, Episode 29, Damayanti and Nala, Part 2. Last episode, we began the story of Nala and Damayanti. The story is traditionally called Nala, but obviously it is more about his clever wife than it is about him. We left off last time with Nala's final defeat at Dicing. Left with only a single garment for the two of them, Nala and Damayanti sat shivering and hungry in the forest. Still under Kali's sway, Nala proposed to Damayanti that she should go to her father and stay there until he had recovered his fortune. His queen was shocked at the suggestion that they should separate. She told him that they should both go to her father, where they would be honored in his house. Nala refused this outright. He had once been a proud king and would never bear the shame of begging at his father-in-law's door. Thus, the two continued to wander, attached by their single garment, in search of food and shelter. As evening fell, the couple came across an abandoned hunting lodge and collapsed in exhaustion. Still under Kali's influence, Nala could not sleep. He obsessed with leaving his wife, but then couldn't bring himself to leave. In his delirium, he made excuses, saying he could not leave because he was wearing half of his wife's sari. As if in response to this idea, a sharp knife glinted in the starlight. Madly seizing his chance, Nala took the knife and quietly sliced his piece of cloth away from Damayanti, and he slipped out into the night. When poor Damayanti awoke the next morning, she couldn't bring herself to believe that her husband, after ruining his fortune and squandering her children's future, had now abandoned his wife, half-naked, starving in the wilderness. After spending hours calling for her husband and weeping in grief, Dabainti gradually came to realize that she had indeed been abandoned. Now, she no longer grieved for herself, but for her husband. She knew his true nature, and knew with certitude that her husband must have been manipulated by malignant forces. Not knowing the identity of her assailants, she put a generic curse on them. Whatever creature it is that has cursed my husband to such suffering shall reap even greater suffering than he. Lost in confusion and grief, poor Damayanti wandered the jungle until she was ambushed by an enormous boa constrictor. As the massive snake coiled around her and began to crush her, Damayanti only thought of her husband. How crushed he would be once he awoke from his madness and discovered that his wife had died for lack of protection. She knew his regret would be devastating for him. Just as the fallen queen had given up all hope, a hunter stumbled upon the scene. In an instant, the hunter drew his sword and removed the snake's head. He then carried the princess to a nearby stream where she washed and ate some food. As she began to recover from the snake attack, the hunter began to notice just how beautiful and helpless she was. Overcome with lust, the hunter propositioned the queen. Damayanti could hardly believe that she had been rescued from a snake only to be misused by a commoner. She cursed him angrily, saying, if, even in my heart, I have never thought of anyone but Nala, then let this meat-eating brute drop dead. No sooner had these words left her mouth than the hunter fell dead. Utterly lost in her grief, Damayanti then wandered further into the woods, unconcerned with eating or even her own safety. She wandered like this, ill-clothed and defenseless in the wild jungle. She encountered giant snakes, tigers, and crocodiles, but her emotions were so deep and strong that none of these creatures molested her. After some days of wandering, she noticed a change in the forest. The trees took on a more noble appearance, and the fierce animals were not to be seen. Going a little further, she came across a forest ashram of ascetics. When these hermits first caught sight of Damayanti, they thought she must be an elemental spirit of the forest. She was lean and dirty, barely clothed, and yet she seemed to glow with a divine power. 
when Damayanti introduced herself and told them her story, the senior hermit assured her that her streak of bad luck was nearly over and that soon enough she would see her husband fully restored to his former glory. Shortly after making this prediction, the hermit, the encampment, and their fire pits suddenly vanished, leaving Damayanti wondering if the entire episode had been a dream. Since there was nothing else to be done, the princess resumed her helpless journey, searching for her lost husband. After three more days of fruitless wandering, Damayanti finally came across a caravan of merchants with wagons loaded with goods. Again, the people were astonished and frightened by her wild appearance, but the women took pity on her, and, regardless of whether she was an ogress or a princess, they determined to clean her up and feed her. After eating a meal, Damainti asked their leader where they were heading and whether they had any news of Nala. The merchant told her that they had neither seen nor heard of Nala. They were heading for the kingdom of Chedi, and she could come with them. Damainti agreed to accompany the caravan to Chedi in hopes of finding information about her husband there. That evening, they made camp on the banks of a stream. Later that night, when all the travelers were fast asleep, a herd of wild elephants approached the stream to drink. Unfortunately, the merchants had made their camp right in the elephant's path. As the herd pressed in from all sides, they crushed and maimed the people who were sleeping on the ground. Suddenly, people were screaming in pain and survivors were running for cover. The wagon loads of trade goods were knocked over and trampled while the few survivors fled into the forest. Poor Damainty was unscathed but alone again. She wondered what she had done to deserve such bad luck. Why did so many innocents have to suffer for her offenses? Whom had she offended? Finally realizing that all of her sorrows must have a root cause, she pondered what she had done to deserve this. Whom had she offended that would possess the power to curse her this badly? The list of potential culprits was not long. Only a god could have done all these things. She suspected that Indra or one of the other world guardians had cursed her. As she wandered down the road, pondering these things, she came across a few survivors from the caravan tragedy, a group of Brahmins who recognized the spiritual power that she possessed. The woman and the Brahmins continued together down the road to Chedi. As they entered the gates of the city, Damayanti's extremely bedraggled appearance attracted a crowd of street children, who followed after her curiously as she made her way to the city palace. From a window overlooking the town square, the queen mother saw this strange woman, starving and bedraggled, followed by Brahmins and surrounded by street kids. She instinctively deduced that this was no ordinary woman, and so she summoned Damainti to her palace. When Damainti presented herself, the Chedi queen mother asked her, Even though you look like you have a hard life, you still seem to carry yourself with a special nobility. Even though you are unprotected, you go about without fear. Are you a saint or are you an immortal? Damainti bowed low and replied, I am just a mortal woman who is devoted to her husband. I was a chambermaid of good birth, but now I am alone, living off wild fruit and roots. My husband is a virtuous man and has always been devoted to me, but by bad luck he succumbed to a gambling addiction, and when he had gambled away all our possessions, he wandered off into the forest. I followed him into the forest, but he was possessed by madness and he deserted me while I was sleeping. Since then I have been looking for my beloved day and night. The Queen Mother was moved to tears by this sad story. She exclaimed, Stay here with me, good woman, and I will have my men go out in search of your husband. If you allow me to help you, we shall surely find your husband. Damainti bowed again and replied, I can stay with you, but only under certain conditions. I will not eat leftovers, nor wash people's feet, nor converse at all with other men. 
If a man importunes me, he shall be punished. I will only see Brahmins so long as it helps in the search. If this can be done, I shall stay. Otherwise, I will continue with my wandering. The Queen Mother happily agreed to all these conditions, and appointed Damayanti to be handmaid to her daughter, the Princess Sunanda. As for Nala, after he had wandered away from his wife into the forest, Nala saw the glow of a fire in the woods. Out of curiosity, he approached the fire to get a better look. As he drew near, he heard a voice calling to him, Come here, Nala. Come, Punyashloka. When he got closer, he saw a ring of fire with the giant snake king coiled up in the middle. The snake called out to Nala, I am the snake Kartutaka. I had attacked an innocent Brahmin, and he cursed me like this. If you will save me, I will do you a great favor in return. Nala agreed to help, and picked up the snake and carried it out of the range of the fire. As soon as he set the snake down, however, the snake bit him. Shocked, Nala looked down on himself and found that his body had shriveled and deformed. The snake said, Do not worry, I have transformed you so you will not be recognized. Furthermore, my venom has entered your system and it has encased the entity that has given you so much trouble. Even now he is suffering terribly from my poison and he will continue to suffer as long as he remains within your body. I have made you immune from the one who has tormented you. Now you should go from here to the city of Ayodhya. Tell them your name is Bauka and that you are a charioteer. That king will teach you about dice in return for your skill with horses. When you have become skilled with dice, you'll be reunited with fortune and will rejoin your wife and have your kingdom and children back. I tell you this all is the truth. When you wish to restore your former appearance, just think of me and put on this robe. When you wear this robe, you will regain your old appearance. The snake king then vanished, leaving this robe laying on the ground. Nala then set out for Ayodhya. After ten days of travel, he entered the city and made his way to the court of the king, Rituparna. Nala worked his way through the crowd of retainers and hangers-on and introduced himself to the king. He said, My name is Bauka, and I am a skilled horseman, charioteer, and cook. I am educated in all the royal arts. Take me into your service. When Nala demonstrated his skill with the horses, King Rituparna laughed and said, I love the fastest horses. I will put you in charge of my stables. My charioteers Varshneya and Jivala will work for you. Thus, Nala settled down to a well-paid job in the king's service. But late at night, he could always be heard to recite a sad couplet. Where may you, starving and thirsty, lay down to sleep, fatigued and wretched, as you keep recalling that fool, and who is it you have to serve now? One night, Jivala asked Nala, Who is this woman you bemoan? There was this nitwit who had a wife that loved him very much. For some stupid reason this fool got separated from her, and now he runs around in misery saying this couplet when he feels especially desperate. This man deserted her. It is unlikely she still lives. She is alone, starving, and unprotected in the wilderness, where she was abandoned by that idiot. Meanwhile, Nala's father-in-law, Damainti's father, King Bhima, had not been sitting back. He was fond of his son-in-law and was concerned with his daughter's safety. The king summoned the wandering Brahmins and made them an offer of 1,000 head of cattle plus the revenues of an entire village if one of them discovered Nala and Damayanti. The Brahmins set off happily in all directions, searching for the lost royals. One of these, named Sudeva, went to Chedi, and there he caught a glimpse of Damayanti while she was in the queen's presence. Sudeva had known Damayanti back when she was a princess in Vidarbha, and he suspected he had found her. Unsure, Sudeva lingered and observed as Damaiti became handmaiden to the princess of Chedi. 
After some time watching and waiting, Sudeva finally found an opportunity to speak with the handmaid. He told her, My name is Sudeva, and I was sent by your father to find you. Your children are all in good health, and they and your parents are longing for your return. Damayanti recognized the Brahmin, and she tearfully asked him about her, all her relatives in Vidarbha. The nosy queen mother was once again looking out her window, and she saw her new servant sitting with the Brahmin weeping tearfully. Later, the queen mother had the Brahmin summoned to her quarters. She interrogated Sudeva about Damayanti's background. Sudeva then told her the full story, concluding, There is no mortal who equals her in beauty. Her body may be caked in mud and unadorned, but still her beauty shines through. But I was sure I found her when I spotted the mole on her face that betokens her good fortune. The queen mother then summoned Damayanti, rubbed the mud off her face, and revealed the famous beauty mark. Suddenly it all came back to her. The queen exclaimed, You are my niece, my sister is Bhima's wife, and I was there when you were born. My home is your home, just ask for anything you'd like. Damayanti bowed to her aunt and said, Even as a serving girl I lived here happily, well served and protected. I am sure I would only be happier here now, but I would like your permission to return home. My children are waiting and my father is worried for me. Please grant me the use of a wagon so I may return home. The queen mother was happy to grant the request, and Damayanti was sent home on a human-carried palanquin with a royal honor guard. She rested that same evening in her father's palace. The very next day, Damayanti resumed the search for Nala. She composed a poem about a gambler who cut her dress and left her. She asked all the Brahmins to go off once again and search for Nala. She ordered them to recite the poem wherever they went. She offered the same reward Sudeva had earned when he discovered her. Sometime later, after hundreds of Brahmins had come and gone empty-handed, a Brahmin reported a curious incident in the kingdom of Ayodhya. He said he had recited the poem to the king and nobles there, and none had reacted, but an odd hunchback in the king's service broke into tears when he heard it. The man was named Bauka, and he was the king's charioteer. The Brahmin questioned this malformed servant, and Bauka's reply was another poem. Damayanti absorbed this information, and then summoned the Brahmin Sudeva. She gave Sudeva some instructions and sent him off to Ayodhya to find this charioteer. Sudeva went straight off to King Rituparna and announced before the court that Damayanti had given up on ever finding Nala and was holding a second Swayamvar to choose a new husband. This bride choice was scheduled for just a few days later. So Rituparna needed to get there fast. He summoned his master of horses and told him to prepare the horse and chariot so he could reach Vidarbha in less than one day. The king chose Bahuka to be his driver. Bahuka Nala wondered whether he had finally been abandoned, or was this some new plan by his clever wife. He knew he had no right to expect anything better than abandonment, but still he held out hope that she might take him back. Bahuka didn't have much time for fretting over this, because he had to deliver his master to Vidarbha post-haste. He assembled the horses, loaded up the chariot, and he, the king, and Varshneya took off at top speed for Damayanti's second Swayamber. As the three men sped off for Vidarbha, Varshneya and the king marveled at Bauka's skill with the horses. They raced at speeds that they had not thought possible. At one point, the king's shawl blew off his shoulders. Varshneya called for Bauka to stop the car so they could jump down and fetch the king's shawl. Bauka laughed and said, Too late for that. The shawl is already several miles behind us. We'll get a new one in Vidarbha. Bauka's skills and temperament continuously reminded Varshneya of his old master, Nala. 
but then he looked at the deformed little man and could not believe they were one and the same. The trio made such good progress that the king began to relax a bit. They were sure to make it to Vidarva on time. The king began to expound on the mysteries of numbers and the dice. Rituparna said, Knowledge resides in no man, but any information is available to the one who knows how to access it. To make a demonstration, the king pointed to an oak tree and said, The number of leaves on that tree, less the acorns that are on the ground, amounts to 34,125. Baoka, in disbelief, stopped the chariot and actually counted the leaves and acorns, and found the king had been perfectly correct. Baoka said, With this skill with numbers, dice must be like child's play to you. Rituparna said, I could teach you to be the master of any dice game in exchange for your knowledge of horses. Baoka readily agreed to this offer, and the king trained him in this secret knowledge while they flew down the road to Vidarba. Baoka is a quick study, and apparently attained some kind of enlightenment as we see later. After divining the number of mangoes in a tree and predicting the rolls of the dice several times in a row, he suddenly got sick. The withered man darted for a nearby ditch and retched. After several violent spasms, Baoka barfed up a black ball of stinking venom. The ball began to twitch, and out of the ball sprang the shrunken and weakened form of Kali. In that instant, Nala recovered his wits. The scope of his folly and the nature of his victimization suddenly came in full focus. Nala recoiled and was thinking of a really stinging curse to put on Kali, when the wretched creature knelt and folded his hands in supplication. Kali said, Restrain your anger, sir. I am ready to help you reach the greatest fame. Ever since your wife cursed me in that hut in the forest, I have been suffering intensely. I have been burned day and night by the snake's venom. Let me make up for you now. Nala restrained his anger, and in that moment's hesitation, Kali snuck off into the woods. Feeling better than he had in months, Nala returned to the king's chariot and whipped the horses on to Vidarba. Later that day, Damainti was looking out onto the streets of the city when she saw a royal chariot racing in. The speed and the sound were so great that she thought for sure her husband Nala must be driving the horses. She was stricken when she saw King Rutaparna step off the chariot, but did not see her husband. King Bhima had come out to greet this visitor and asked him why he had come at this time. Rituparna was smart enough to have noticed the lack of preparations and nobility, so he figured the talk of Swamvar was some kind of ruse. So he told Bhima that he had merely come to visit. Bhima suspected there was more to it, but he had too much tact to question him further. While kings Bhima and Rituparna entertained themselves, and Nala camped out with the horses, Damainti puzzled over the question of the king's charioteers. She recalled that Varshneya had been in Nala's service and had moved on to work for Rituparna but she knew nothing of the crippled little man who drove the horses as well as King Nala. The princess sent a servant named Kashini to spy on the charioteer and bring back information. Later, Kashini reported back to Damayanti and told her that this little man had some remarkable traits. She noticed, for instance, that he did not lower his head to walk under low doorways. Instead, the lintel rose up to let him pass. When his cart was in a narrow lane, the road seemed to widen to let him through. As he cooked for his master, she had seen him fill pots with water from out of the air, and had seen him start fires with a mere glance. These abilities were remarkable, even for Nala, but Damainti was clever enough not to be discouraged. In fact, she suspected her husband had somehow transformed his appearance and might indeed be the charioteer, Bahuka. 
Demaiti then ordered the servant to return to the cook and when he wasn't looking to swipe a sample of his cooking. Kashini did as she was told and returned with a portion of meat. As soon as the princess tasted his cooking, she no longer had any doubt. Regardless of his appearance, his backstory, or his status, somehow he must be Nala. So certain was she that she sent Kashini on one more mission, this time to her mother, the queen. Her message went, I have tested Buka many ways because I suspect he is Nala. Only his appearance casts doubt. I would like to see him for myself. Either send him to me or allow me to visit him. It may be done with father's knowledge or without. The virtuous queen went to Bhima with this message and the old man approved. Bahoka was summoned before Damayanti. As soon as the little man entered the chamber and bowed, Damayanti laid into him. Tell me, have you ever heard of a man who deserted his wife as she lay sleeping unprotected in the jungle? What man would leave his beloved and innocent wife in the forest and go away? What a wrong I must have done to that king that he deserted me in the midst of the wilderness. This man whom I chose even above the gods themselves, how could he desert his loving and faithful wife, the mother of his children? At these words, Boca collapsed to the floor in grief. He cried, It was not my fault that I was struck with madness and lost my kingdom and abandoned you. I was possessed and cursed by Kali, and he drove all my actions. You had cursed him that night in the forest, and ever since he had suffered with me. Like twigs on a fire, he was constantly burned by your curse. He remained within me until just a few days ago, when I awakened to spiritual mastery. But now Kali is gone, and there shall indeed be an end to our misery. That evil spirit has left me, and I have come here only to reunite with you. But I have heard that you are seeking a new husband. I deeply regret that I ever left you, but I was not in control. So what possessed you to seek a new husband while your old one might yet be alive? Damayanti rejoined, My lord, do not suspect me of doing evil. Did I not send even the gods away in order to choose you? I have spent fortunes in seeking you out, and when I suspected you were in Rituparna's service, I had him come here the fastest way I could think of. I swear by the three gods who support all creation that this is true. Just then, the wind spoke from the sky. We swear this is true. Damayanti has preserved her honor, and we have been her guardians for these three years. Her stratagem was excellent, because only you, of all mortals, could have carried the king of Ayodhya this far in a single day. Have no more suspicions. Rejoin your wife. As if to guarantee that no skeptic could later say it was a ventriloquist, heavenly drums sounded in all directions, and flower petals rained down on the royal gathering. On this cue, Nala pulled out his special snake robe, thought of the magic snake, and put it on. In a flash, Crooked Bahoka transformed into the glorious King Nala. Despite the years of hardship, both the king and his wife quickly regained their former beauty. After a blissful night together, Nala went to his former master, Rituparna, and explained what had happened. The enlightened king was delighted to have played a part in the whole entertaining affair. King Bhima embraced his son-in-law, and endowed him with the lands that had been his wife's dowry, as well as the services of a small army. After a month of preparations, Nal assembled a small fighting force and set out for his brother's kingdom of Nishada. I find this next little detail interesting because it gives us an idea of the basic size of a Bronze Age military unit. We are told that Nala's strike force consisted of a single chariot, 16 war elephants, 50 horses, and 600 infantry. 
Nala led his forces right up to his brother's city gates and issued a challenge, saying, I have returned for one more round of dice. I have regained my wealth and I have regained my wife. Now I stake all of these and even my own life for your kingdom and your life. If not, then here is my army and we shall have a trial by arms and let the victor take all. Ever since the last time the two had played, Nala's brother Pushkar had not once lost a throw at dice. He was so good that most would not gamble with him, and he had grown bored with it. But Nala's offer stirred him. He observed that Demaiti had not lost her famous good looks. Pushkar said, I'm so glad that you are rich again, and that you have your wife back, and now you'd like to lose them all to me. I always regretted that I had not won pretty Demaiti the last time we played. I would never have left her in the forest. She has always been in my heart. Nala was angered enough to cut his insolent brother's head off, but he controlled himself and simply said, Enough with talking, let's play. After you win, you can talk some more. Pushkar agreed, fetched the dice, and made his throw. I'm sure most of you have already guessed the outcome, so I'll just tell you that Pushkar rolled the dice, fully expecting to win one last time, but this time the dice did not obey their master. The roll went in Nala's favor, and he won the round. Pushkar had lost everything to Nala. He had staked the kingdom of Nishada as well as his very life. Nala was generous in his victory. He did not blame his brother for what had happened. He knew that they had all been pawns in Kali's dark game. Nala forgave his brother and granted him the governorship and revenues of one of his cities. Pushkar was grateful for his brother's forbearance and left for his new lands without causing further trouble. The restored King Nala then summoned his wife and the two made a triumphant entry in their recovered city where the two royals sponsored many sacrifices and supported countless Brahmins. If you recall from two episodes back, this entire story was being recited by the sage Burhadashva to Yudhishthira. The sage concluded his tale, saying, Just as Nala eventually recovered everything he had lost and won renown in the process, so too will you, in time, win back your lands and titles. Nala had lost everything and had even lost his wife in the wilderness. You, at least, still have your brothers and your wife. You are attended daily by the most virtuous Brahmins, so take heart. What really do you have to complain about? This story is said to be the history of Kali's downfall. You can take courage from this because it teaches us that riches can come and go, so the wise man handles both with detachment. Just like Nala, I expect you are worried that you may be challenged to gamble once again. Allow me to alleviate your fears. I can teach you the secrets of the dice, so you need not worry about losing any more. Yudhishthira was delighted to receive this help, and the king sat down with the sage and learned how to predict the next roll of the dice and even how to control the way the dice landed. Following this lesson, Burhadashva wandered off and other seers and brahmins arrived from all directions to trade news at the Pandavas camp. Among the wanderers were some sadhus who had just come down out of the mountains to the north, and they reported how Arjun had parked himself on a mountain peak and was starving himself and practicing yoga relentlessly. They told him, The mighty Partha has undertaken impossible suffering. No one has ever seen a mortal perform such powerful austerities. At this news, the brothers were again plunged into depression and worry about their favorite brother. I guess the story of Nala didn't do much to cheer them up after all. This ends the story of Nala and Damayanti. Next time we'll get news of Arjun's adventures in heaven and get an in-depth travel guide to ancient India's holy places. Thanks for listening.